everyone. This is Nanette from NanetteFayGordon.com, and you're listening to the Fire After 50 podcast. This is the spot where I sit down with passionate women over the age of 50, and we explore what lights them on fire. Women who listen to their own intuition to design a life they love, many in unconventional ways. So sit back and prepare to be inspired. Welcome to the next episode of the Fire After 50 podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining me today, and I'm very excited to introduce you to um, my next person, my next woman over 50, who is a very, very interesting person who I've actually known for a very long time, uh, since we were little girls, really. And um, I've always admired her in so many ways. And we'll we'll talk about that. Um, but uh, yeah, so welcome, welcome. And um, here we go. So I am interviewing today, Suzanne Graham Tartarilla. Suzanne, is that how you pronounce your last name? You got it, Nanette. Yay! <laughs> and Suzanne says, I recently retired from a 40-year career in public education, and I've happily returned to my home state of Maine. A certified travel agent, I am in the early stages of launching my own travel and tour company, Sterling Tours. I am passionate about travel, theater making, gardening, and relationships with my women friends. I am never happier than when I'm with my family at our home on Sebago Lake. Suzanne, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm so happy that you're here too. And one of the first questions I always ask women on the podcast is, what are you most passionate about right now? Right now in this moment, um, I guess I'm most passionate about about filling up time with this my newfound time as a new retiree, and um, and 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 filling it up with those things that um, I didn't always have time for, or as much time as I would have liked when I was working full time in education. And anyone who's ever been in education knows that it's um, it. It's a full-time job from the first day of school until the kids walk out the door for summer. And then even during summer, there's no, you know, there's work to be done. And and I loved my job and I loved my school and the people I worked with and loved all that. But there was always this um the the, the struggle for me to find a balance between the job that I loved and doing those things that brought me fulfillment and joy, like travel. Mm-hmm. Um um, spending time, um, leisure time with my family, um, finding time to weed a garden on a weekend mm. in between, you know, Friday and Monday, the school week. So like, right now as a retiree, like I'm just super excited about having my own time um, to, to, to do those things that I love. And, and while still staying in touch with young people, I, um, and I'm looking for ways like in the Portland area that I might be able to do that. Um, I I love kids, teenagers in particular. And um, so those that that's one of the things that I'm looking for right now, among everything else um, in the Portland area, how to stay connected with kids and young people. And there are a lot of opportunities there. 
That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a very exciting time for you. And I've always said, like, one of my favorite times to photograph someone is in when they're in transition. And mm. that can be in transition of any sort, really. I think the people that are in transition are such in such interesting places of kind mm. of closing one door or starting to close one door and opening the next and in that middle space. So I'm thrilled I get an opportunity to talk to you right now when you're sort of still a little bit in it feels like maybe in this transition space. Yep. I definitely am. Yeah. So I understand that you, um, well, it was Pinkerton Academy in New Hampshire, right? Mm -hmm. Where you um, have been for the last how many years? Um, I was at Pinkerton for 35 years. Wow. And then um, the the remaining five I taught at um, Mount View Middle School here in Maine, Thorndike, um, and then Spalding Junior High in Rochester, um, but then I I found my way to Pinkerton, and that's where I spent the remainder of my career. Mm, it's a remarkable place. Yeah, it is. It's special. It is. It seems really special. And I understand that you recently um, were honored with a special award there. I was. <laughs> I didn't know that's you knew sad. about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just pretty amazing. Um at the graduation ceremony, my last graduation that I emceed, um, the board of trustees presented me with um, the merit- the board of trustees meritorious service award, which is their highest award that they bestow on um, faculty or staff. And I was, I was quite literally blown away, so stunned that um, I missed my cue to go back on stage after the <laughs> announcement. <laughs> Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> but it warmed my heart and my family was there. Um, they they came because it was my last graduation and they wanted to be there and on the field. Um, so they were there when I was awarded that. And then they they came to the ceremony in September. And so, yeah, it was pretty special. And to have my former students there too made it even extra special. Wow. I, I feel really emotional about it. And I'm trying to figure out why. And I, I think it's because... And I don't want this to sound like, I don't know, something or other, but I feel so proud of you. Like, Thank you know, you. like we grew up in Holton, Maine, yeah. a really <laughs> small rural town, like on the Canadian border. And I know, right? Here you are being yeah. awarded this incredible award. And I just feel really, really proud of you and to know oh, you and be a friend. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty, it was mind blowing and after it was over, I thought, I actually went back to my childhood in Holton thinking about this, like Pinkerton is the largest high school in the state of New Hampshire. We have um, between 3,200 and 3,300 students. So the graduation on the football field is this huge event, thousands of people and it's televised. And, um, and I remembered when I was a little girl and I loved playing make-believe and I was obsessed with movies and, um, And I would um, make believe that I was an actress who was about to give a speech at the Academy Awards, looking in my reflection (laughs) in the French doors of our living room with my mother's robe on like an evening gown. And after that night, I thought about that. And I thought like, there I was a little girl thinking that I was going to be on a stage in, you know, Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. and you (laughs) were there. And then here I was, you know, giving a speech of thanks to, um, to, you know, this graduating class and their family and friends and my family and friends. And I thought that um, the make-believe was fun, but that moment was 
a million times better. Oh. And who would have thought? Yeah. That was your Academy Award moment. That was my Academy Award moment. Minus <laughs> mom's bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw a picture on Instagram and you had a very pretty dress on. So there you go. Instead of the bathrobe. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you, Nanette. Yeah. What a wonderful way to um, sort of put a nice bow on your 40-year career. Yeah. Sure was. Yeah. So, you know, growing up in Holton and, you know, mm. being a little girl and having those dreams, mm. tell us a little backstory about how you got from there to um to here. Okay. It's um well I, I, I knew uh in high school, I knew that um I wanted to go to college and I knew like I just had this seed like I want to get out of Aroostook County. I want to get out of Maine. I want to go someplace different and someplace different, any place but here. That was my mindset. So like the great irony is here I am. I'm <laughs> proud right? to be a Mainer. <laughs> right? But, um, and so I had every intention of leaving the state of Maine to go to college. And I'd looked at schools in Vermont and New Hampshire. Um, and then um my senior year, I was at um, a, a, a one-act play festival, a drama festival at UMPI, University of Maine and Presque Isle. And I was approached by the theater director at UMPI. And he was, you know, wondering what my plans were, where you going to college? And, um, and pretty much convinced me, you know, you should look into the program here. I know it's not far from home, but... And he was very proud of that program um, and he built it and said, this is the best theater program in new state, in the state, maybe all of new England. And if you, um, if you enroll here, you'll be on stage freshman year. I guarantee it. I'll find a space for you. So I thought, Hmm, I he still didn't convince me. Um, but I had a couple of friends from Holton High School who were freshmen at the time at UMP. And so um, they invited me to come up and spend a weekend with them in their dorm room. And um, and I really loved the community and I couldn't believe it. And while I was there, I went to see a play. I ran into John, the theater director again, and um, talk, he talked to me a little bit more. And then, um, and then, you know, it really came down to money too. I was, you know, 17 and really clueless about the money involved with going to college. And my dad had recently passed away. So my mom is a new single mom with five kids. And so then I started, you know, looking at all that and it just made sense to go there. Given mm. The connection that I'd already, I felt when in speaking with people and visiting there. And um, so then my plan was I'll go to Umpy for a couple of years, get good grades, bang it out of the ballpark and then I'll transfer. And I never transferred. I really loved it there. Um, my my um, advisor, the same man knew that um, I, as much as I love theater, he knew I would not, it wouldn't become my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. um, I just didn't have that theater gene to sacrifice and give up everything and work multiple jobs. Um, and he's, he really directed me into education. I, we were doing some children's theater work at the time and he saw something in me that I didn't in terms of working with kids. And um, he pretty much told me to, ch he changed my major for me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, 
like, you know, a double major in theater and English and a minor in secondary education. This is what you're suited to do. Yeah. So I, I said, okay. And, um, and that's how I ended up in education. I met my husband, Paul at Umpi. Um, he ended up transferring to Orono. I followed him there. Um, and then he ended up getting his first job in Southern New Hampshire. And um, at that time we were expecting our first baby. And so we just, I thought, okay, I finally get to leave Maine. We're moving to New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, and we moved to Derry. And then everything just kind of fell into place with my position at Pinkerton. Mm. And I never looked back. And uh, theater, theater really has been a pretty integral part of your life since then. It has. It has. Um, I was on hiatus, of course, when the girls were little. Um, but as they got older, I became more involved in the theater program at Pinkerton. Um, I've done some work with Theater Kapow, a small community theater group that a friend of mine um, created and directs. Um, it's alive and well now in New Hampshire. I've worked with him on projects um, and I've directed plays at Pinkerton, which as much as I loved acting in the past, I've come to discover that um, with theater directing is really the thing that I love most. Mm -hmm. I have no interest in, in acting again. And part of it might be my age and how hard it is to learn lines <laughs> these days. I did a small part in the faculty play in the spring and man, like learning those lines was not the same as learning lines. I'm sure <laughs> the day before I'm... rehearsal when I was 19 or 20. Yeah. Um, but I really love directing. And that's, that's where my heart is right now with theater making. Mm -hmm. um, the director is really the creator. They paint the canvas and the picture. So we had a little bit of a blip on my internet end. Um, and so we got cut off and um, we've been gone for, I don't know, a couple minutes, but we are back and we're going to continue the conversation. So uh, Suzanne, in your bio, and I know from what we chatted about, um, your next step is a very, very interesting one, especially to me, because I also have a love of travel. And mm. I'm just wondering where and when did your love of travel begin? Um, so it also goes back to Holton, Maine, I think my dad was a truck driver. And um, I think I was in fifth or sixth grade, maybe where um, I, I was really ticked off because he would do, you know, some of these long haul trips, and he would bring my brothers with him, or one of my brothers, but he never took me. And, um, and I said something to my mom about it. And she obviously said something to him. And so he had um, a haul down to, I think, like Connecticut, Rhode Island, that area. It was an overnight haul, potatoes probably. Um, and he took me with him. And I didn't sleep. I stayed up all night. I was just intrigued. And um, we stopped at some truck stops along the way. And all the people there knew my dad because he was a regular, but in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, my dad's famous. Everyone knows him. <laughs> and I thought, I thought he was just like the bomb, like my famous father. Um, but it was just so much fun. And um, and it, it doesn't seem like much, but I really think that was the beginning. Like, I just loved it. It was such a great adventure. And, um, 
and and you know we were a big family of limited means we didn't do um we really didn't do any big family vacations we would do some weekend trips in the summer to the bay of fundy and stay over at this beautiful beach near saint john or um you know uh day trips to baxter state park or um downstate so when i was in college um I was waiting for an appointment with a teacher and I was, you know, just checking out a bulletin board in the hallway and there was a flyer for a summer semester at Cambridge University in England um, that the University of New Hampshire was sponsoring. And it was open to all students, not necessarily UNH kids. And, um, and I just took that info and I ran with it. I, I, I wrote to the director, I put in my application, um, I was accepted and then I had to figure out how to get the money, but I took out some student loans and, um, and that's really where um, I really caught the travel bug. Mm -hmm. um, and I look back on that and I think like, I'd never been out of the country. I didn't have a passport. Um, I'd never, I don't think I'd ever been on a plane, let alone, a transatlantic plane, um, but there was just, I, I was fearless. I didn't think about any of that. I just knew I wanted to go. And um, the course of study was British literature and drama. So it was right up my alley. Um, I chose the more, um, the more theatrical pathway of study. Um, we lived in a dorm at Cambridge University. Our weekends were in London, going to plays, museums. Mm. Um, it was just amazing. And then, and people from all over the country, it was a small mm -hmm. program about 50 of us, but people from all over students from all over the country. Um, and that, you, that was a defining moment for me for travel. Where do you think your fearlessness came from? I have no idea. Yeah. I really don't. Do you think it we're was, born with it? Do you think women who tend to be fearless, are we born with it? Or is it like, is it nature or nurture or a combination? It, that's something that uh, the women in my family have sort of been exploring. That's an awesome question, Nanette. Um, I think for my own girls, I would say they learned it from me and this love of travel and just taking off and, um, and traveling somewhere on their own, a place they've never been before. Um, both of my girls have had those experiences. Mm. Um, but for me, I'm not sure where it came from. Mm. I think for me, it really came from a fire within me to see the world beyond my hometown and the state. That's how it I was felt just, yeah, yeah, just I had something very that was similar feeling growing up that when I, when I left high school, I just so wanted to go anywhere and see anything and everything. Yes. And uh, I ended up going to Vermont my first couple of years and it was nine hours away. It, it felt like quite far. And um, I just was so thrilled to um, be away in meeting new people and different people. And um, here I am back in Maine too. <laughs> <laughs> here we are. <laughs> I'm curious though, um, do you see an interconnection or an intersection between education and travel? Oh, absolutely. I think they go hand in hand. I think they're partners, they're twins. Um, and um, as, a, as a teacher, 
and an administrator. Um, I've seen that with our students. Um, and, and the Pinkerton students are fortunate in that um, we had at my school so many different opportunities for learning and travel, um, exchange programs between um, schools in Germany and Pinkerton, um, Costa Rica, um, Spain. We have a partnership with a school in Spain and at one time China. So um, those kids just, it, it was just, it, it was learning in action by traveling mm -hmm. to these places. Um, so you're just continuing, you're just yeah. continuing your self education, really. Yes. Um, and and I, the other thing, one of the other things I was really curious about was, you know, I love to travel, but you know, you're not just transitioning from education to being a traveler. You're transitioning to being a um, an organizer and leader of travelers. Mm -hmm. And so what inspired you to want to do that rather than just travel? Okay. Um, so after my, my youngest daughter, Brittany, graduated high school in 2007, I thought, like, I knew I needed a change. Um, I was an English theater teacher. Um, I, I, as much as I loved my the, my, the disciplines that I taught in, there was nothing else I wanted to teach besides English and theater. Um, and teaching English is, it's a heavy duty job. The grading is just grinding and never stops. Um, so I knew I needed a change. I love travel. And so I got this idea that um, I, maybe I'll, I'll leave education and pursue a career in travel. So um, I kind of prepared for that ahead of time. I enrolled in um, a tra travel certification program at New Hampshire Community College. I got my travel certification. And then 2011, uh, 2007 rather, um, I resigned from my position at Pinkerton. Um, I threw out all of my classroom materials, all of my files, my Scarlet Letter files, The Great Gatsby, <laughs> theater exercises. I'm like, I'm done, I'm moving on. And I just threw all that stuff out and, and just was fortunate enough to get a job as a travel agent with AAA. And part of that position was helping to, um, to work on group travel um, and individual travel too. I sold an awful lot of um, family trips to Disney and all that, um, but there was some group travel things that I got involved in. Um, and then the economy took a turn in 2008 and AAA started laying off and um, I was never laid off, but I, it, it, travel was really changing. Um, and then, and people were becoming more inclined to book their own travel on the internet. Group travel is a different beast because um, people tend to like have some someone else kind of take the charge there. There's so many moving parts. Um, so anyway, the long and the short of it is um, I knew that like as much as I loved working as a travel agent, I needed like more secure employment. I really started missing my Pinkerton family and the kids and wanted to get back there. And um, luckily I still had a place there and they took me back. Mm. And, um, and so then I thought, you know what, I'm going to um, take what I've learned about travel agent work and group travel and see if I can do that 
here at Pinkerton. And so um, my first group trip that I that I organized at Pinkerton and teachers only, no kids, I wanted the teachers to just have a break from the kids mm-hmm. <laughs> and be able to just be silly and a little inappropriate if they felt like and not worry about, you know, eyes and ears listening and watching. Um, and so my first group trip that I organized was in 2011, a trip to Ireland. Um, and things really took off from there. Like I, I developed like this core group of teachers and their family and friends. Um, and being that it's, it's such a, a big school, I had a great pool to work from for mm-hmm. clients. Um yeah. So, really, um, it's yeah. Really- so you were really, really able to start setting yourself up for doing something, having an, a new career that of something that you're passionate about while still right. working full time with Pinkerton. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is it's funny that you say that because while I was doing that, I ne- it never occurred to me like, oh, this is something that I can carry with me into retirement. It just happened organically, but that was never part of my big vision. I thought, you know, while I'm here, if I can keep this going, cool. And um, and be, when I when I knew I was going to retire, I, I talked with my boss a little bit about it, um, and just to get you know permission from him, like, will you mind if I continue to fish in this pool for <laughs> um, for potential travelers? And he was fine. Just like, I'm sure. Have at it. Let me know if I can help. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a, a lot of people, women, I mean, I focus mostly on women, but I'm sure it's lots of people who, when they're thinking about retiring from their, you know, big job or whatever you want to call that, their regular full-time, um, they're really looking to maybe pursue something new, whether it's a passion mm-hmm. or a new business. Um and, you know, at 60, are you 63? 63. 63. Um, you know, it's it's a brave move, I think, to start something that's not brand new for you, but still is somewhat. I mean, you're going through the process of having to set up a business and do that whole mm-hmm. thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for people who are looking at our age, um, women looking to make a transition, big transition, or pursue a new passion at this age, what would you have for suggestions or advice or thoughts? For somebody who might be thinking of pursuing for doing what I'm doing. Or not um, even necessarily the travel business, but just going okay. from, you know, one big job to oh, okay. transitioning, you know, in our sixties to maybe, starting their own business or, uh, uh, you know, they're pursuing a big passion or do you have any thoughts around that? Yeah, I think, um, take it, take it easy, slow and steady, slow and steady. I would, um, not do things too quickly. And I tend to be very methodical and I do a lot of mental homework and a lot of reading and journaling and just kind of listing and writing things out. Um, for me, I need to do things that way, just very slow and, you know, with not caution, but just processing things and letting it take its time to kind of simmer in my head. Um, 
I I would also I would talk to people who've gone that way before you. I have a friend in New Hampshire um, who started a small business for travel, specifically for students, student learning travel. Um, and so I've talked to him a little bit about that, like, you know, hey, what kind of paperwork do you need to submit to the state for um, an LLC? And how does that work? And so it's good to have experts in the wing who can answer those questions. They're probably pretty simple, but not to me, because mm. it's language I'm not used to, right? Yeah, very um, good. Yeah. And, um, and I would also say sometimes those those opportunities aren't like they're they, they they whisper to us they don't they're not in our face we don't see them right away they're just whispers that are kind of there and then we start listening at least I did and after I did my third tour I started thinking hmm maybe <laughs> this is something <laughs> maybe this is something that I could do like away from my career as a teacher and administrator and um like Sometimes it's right there in front of us, but we don't pay attention until we listen to those whispers and the intuition, right? There you go. I was just going to say, you know, whispers, intuition, our third eye, you know, all, all those words that we use to talk about what you're referring to. And, and one of the questions I wanted to ask you and hear more about is, you know, how um how much of this has been from listening to your intuition and are you good at listening to your intuition and trusting it um i would say it's 100% listening to my intuition 100% i've not always been great at that i find that as i've gotten older i listen more to my gut to my intuition um i trust it when i was younger i questioned it I just questioned it. I didn't trust. Like yeah. there was always a what if, a what if, a yeah, but, um, and um, and this it's kind of off topic, but not. I I watch a lot of detective shows and whodunits and <laughs> like forensic files and all that. And I listened to this interview with a detective once who talked about intuition and protecting yourself from crime and his comment was if you pull into the driveway and the garbage can looks like it's a jar and your gut tells you that doesn't look right it's probably not right mm. and to listen to your gut mm -hmm. and it it sounds a little kind of creepy but I thought about that like what he said about trusting your gut listening to your gut not worrying about the fact that somebody might question you. You're crazy because you thought the trash can was in a different position. Um, trust your gut. What's the worst that's going to happen? Right. Yeah. And the times in my life when I didn't trust my gut, I could usually look back on it and say, I knew the answer to that. I knew what I should have done or what I shouldn't have done. And yeah, I think it's history oftentimes um, of not trusting our gut, maybe, or, or trusting our intuition that has got us to this place at this age that says, I know from history, I need to listen to my intuition and I need to trust it. And then there's a whole scientific explanation to it too, with the vagus nerve that 
a friend of mine who's a psychologist, she got like, she took a deep dive into that, like over my head. But really what she was saying is that the nerve is speaking to the gut and it's telling us, it's speaking to us Mm. and that those sensations are real and they shouldn't be ignored. You need to listen to them. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And in our Excuse me? Look, look where it's led you. Yeah. 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 And that's, it's a lesson that I've also um, like really stressed with my girls as I've gotten older, like that. And I wasn't as aware or tuned into it when they were growing up, but now I sure am. And, um, and I tell them like, it's a lesson that I wish I had imparted more, but I'm giving it to you now to pass on to your kids and just to give to you. It's a gift that we yes. have that in, that intuitive state. And I think women have it um, more strongly than men, simply by the way we're wired. I agree with you. And I think we also in our society um, throughout history have been put into positions where we can utilize it more and use it more. So I think, I feel like it's a muscle. You know, the more I use mm-hmm. it, the more I hear it and more I trust it. And um, you know, I think because women have been in those these positions where we had to multitask and we had to take care of lots of people at the same time and, you know, all the different things, I think that the experiences through history have really helped us hone that more than maybe mm-hmm. the masculine um, right. has an opportunity to do that. But um, so one of the things I've always really admired about you um, is the apparent joy and excitement and zest for life. Thank you. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, I know you love music. We we've been to music Mm -hmm. together. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we've collaborated on one of your theater productions where you invited me to do a gallery show for the theater production, which was so amazing. And that was an awesome experience. It was such a great, uh, it just, yeah, it just warms my heart to even just think about it again right now. And, you know, you just, you light up a room and with your your excitement and your zest for life and your, you know, apparent positivity. And, you know, how do you, how do you maintain that? Or, you know, where does that come from? And, um, yeah, I think as we get older, sometimes, sometimes we lose it a little bit. Other times hmm. we get it more. I mean, I think it's part of it feels to me like child, like for myself, like that part of me feels like the childlike part of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, I just, I really admire that in you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that's, a t- that's a really hard question to answer. Um, I think no one's life is perfect. All of us have stuff that we're carrying pain from the past that we've borne. Um, and some of us are able to, you know, to kind of still carry, find a place to carry that pain and those challenges with us. It, it never goes away. It's always there, but we find a place to kind of store it away, but then continue to move on. And, um, and look for light and life and um and something that you know besides the intuition piece something that i've learned 
<clears throat> that's become more and more and more important to me as I get older is gratitude. Like it's, it's, I think it's easy to kind of um, sink into the pain, the, 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 the turmoil, the, the tragedies we've experienced, the loss and all of that. Um, and I just, I, for me personally, I can't stay there. I need to, I've, I've found a place to kind of put those things on a shelf and then just move forward. And it's the gratitude for what I have today um, that keeps me going and keeps me real. It keeps me in the present. And someone had told me a while back about glimmers. Like we were talking about having a really shitty day. <laughs> <laughs> like both of us were <laughs> like, this is just, it sucks. Like, it's just not a good day. And there were a couple of days like that piling up. And then she said, um, we need to try to look for the glimmers in life. And I'd never heard that, ex that expression before. And these glimmers are just those moments in the day, like no matter how mundane the day may be, um, these little moments of goodness and joy and gratitude for where you are in a moment. Um, like for me this morning, I made tea before I, I went on to your, went into your Zoom room and I was sitting in my room downstairs before we moved to this room. And, um, and I was just sitting there and the sun was shining in and I had my cup of tea, my computer is set up and I'm looking at, um, my hydrangeas that are still blowing in the wind outside. And it seems like such a mundane moment, but I thought this is just really special. And mm -hmm. then I'm reconnecting with a high school friend here in a moment, just like a glimmer, a little moment. And um, I love that. So that's where I try to keep my focus. Cause I know um, if I, if I stay in that, I don't know, go down a rabbit hole and stay there, there are people around me who will probably go there with me. And yeah. that's not good. Right. Yeah. Um, so we do it for ourselves and we do it for right. the ones around right. us that we love. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And there's just, you know, we all know that there's a lot of pain and heartbreak in the world and, and we've experienced it in our own backyard last week. Right. Um, the rest of us have a lot to be grateful for just being here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we can't, uh, we can't ignore that. And, and the more we focus on it. Yeah. I think you're right. It's uh, focusing on the gratitude and focusing on the glimmers and I'm, yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, my mother told me years and years ago. Um, I remember saying to her, I think I was a brand new mother. And I said, Oh my gosh, if I can just get through this one period, mom, like, you know, things will be easier. And she said, Nanette, you know, there's something else right behind it. And wow. she said, you need to find some beauty in every day. And because this is life, life is a connection of difficult things and happy yeah. things and all of those things all together. And that really made a big impact on me that, yeah, even on difficult, dark days to be able to find, like you said, a, a little glimmer, yeah. it usually can if we look for it. Yeah, it can, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, it's just joy and pain, sadness, joy and pain are cousins. You can't yes. have one without the other. Right. We can hold them both at the same time, too. Right. And hold them both at the same time. So, so I would like to add that I'm not like this deep um, 
philosopher who's come up with all this stuff. This hey. is kind of, after some years of therapy and working on my own self and my own growth. So all of, I've, all of these ideas are ideas that I've been, that have been given to me, gifted to me from other people. Absolutely. So. But you know, that's the beauty of us at this <laughs> age. That's why I think women over 50 are the most interesting demographic because we are here and we mm-hmm. have learned so much and we've lived so many lives and yeah. we've heard so much advice from other people mm-hmm. you've taken on. And, you know, mm-hmm. so we kind of are philosophers and all those things. It's just that amazing, so- aren't we? We're oh, awesome. <laughs> I love us. <laughs> I crown us queens. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, I want to talk for a second about some of the exciting um, places that you think you might take groups of people. Um, yeah, so I've got a tour coming up in April. Um, it's it's Scotland. It's titled A Scottish Adventure. Um, right now I have 22 or 23 people on in the tour. Um, so I've got room for a few others. Anyone out there that might be interested in joining us, there's space available. Um I think Nanette maybe will put the link out there when yes. maybe when the podcast is published. Um, so it, it's a really wonderful itinerary, seven days in Scotland. Um, we fly out of Boston to Glasgow um, and we will be touring the lowlands first around Glasgow, Edinburgh. And then we head to the highlands through some of the national parks in Verness um, a beautiful Western coastal town, Oban. Um, and there's what I love about this itinerary is that I've built in um, a lot of downtime at especially some of these national parks where people can get off the tour bus and just take off on their own and just go for, you know, a, a one hour walk or hike um, through the woods, mm-hmm. through the park. Um well, at the same time, we'll make stops at some of the castles and cathedrals. Um, How many got, days? Um, seven days. We leave on Saturday, April 20th and return Saturday, April 27th. Mm-hmm. And do you ever or are you considering doing any all women trips coming up? I've thought about that. If there was interest, I absolutely would love to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say right now my trips have been, you know, kind of half and half. Mm-hmm. Um when I've mentioned it, I've had a few of my um, my my men clients who said they're going to crash the bus and go anyway. <laughs> well, if they're cute, you know, maybe. They are. <laughs> as, um, as an older woman, Suzanne, um, you know, older being us, you know, 60, yeah. 63, yeah. 64, I'll, I'll be 64 in a week. Um, do you feel as though there are any benefits or drawbacks of being our age traveling? Oh, I think it's all benefits. I do. Uh-huh. I think um, the more we see of this country and the world, um, the, the richer our experiences become. Um, and I think it. I think it's good for. It's good for us cognitively to leave our comfort zone to challenge ourselves with you know, research and keeping track of, you know, organizing a trip, even like packing is a cognitive exercise. And as long as we can keep those wheels spinning and 
um, keep our brains in an analytical in an analytical state where we're analyzing and um, prioritizing and um, those things are all good for our brain. Mm. And I think that um, like at our age, I think that's really important that we keep that going. And every time we have a new, a new experience, it's we're adding another layer to that cognitive development, I think. Yeah, very true. And, and what about like from the perspective of like, the outside world looking at us as travelers being older women you know i i just i'm i'm just thinking about like many places i've gone it's felt like i've been treated similarly as i'm treated in it, i would say in the us like sort of as how we treat older women in our society except yeah. when i went to greece mm. <laughs> and mm. when i went to greece um the waiters uh, flirted with us older women as mm -hmm. much as they flirted with the younger women who were with us, my daughter. And I'm just I, curious, like, what's your, do you have any experience of, you know, being an older woman and how you might feel as though that either is a benefit out there in the world when we're traveling or a deficit? Um, I've experienced what you just mentioned in Italy and, and even in Ireland too. Like, the Irish men, in my experience, love the American women. <laughs> they love Americans, period. But um, are you going to Ireland soon? Um, um, <laughs> spring of April 2025. Okay. <laughs> so that's going to be um, either an eight or nine day trip, Western Ireland and the Aran Islands. We're going to do two nights on the Aran Islands. Um, actually, where I've experienced that invisibility of an older woman has been right here in the U.S., and I, that's something new that I've just discovered over the past few years. People looking through me or past me. Um, in fact, I had a meeting a few years ago with um, a higher up in the Duke, New Hampshire Department of Education. And he made a comment. He was talking about some earlier trend in education. And he turned to me and said, you must remember that, right? Yeah. 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 So, How did you respond? <laughs> I said, no, actually, I don't remember that. <laughs> I was a baby. <laughs> and I did, but I wasn't going to let him have the upper hand. And my friend Derek, who was sitting right next to me, he just, he still teased me about that until I retired. Hey, you going to have a last minute <laughs> meeting with Frank? I'm like, no. <laughs> oh, funny. Like, I've seen that here and it just bugs the heck out of me. Um and I've talked with my daughters about it too. Mm. Um, no, it's very real. Yeah. Truthfully, this is one of the reasons why I did my Empowered Portrait Project, which was 33 women over the age of 50. Mm -hmm. um, that why, And why I wanted to start this. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel as though women over 50 um, need to be heard more, seen more, their opinions heard more. Um, yes. just, you know, I, I feel like we are not represented accurately and authentically and as much as we should be in, you know, media and just, uh, all, all through the United States. And that's really one of the driving forces that I really wanted to, um, give older women a place to be able to tell their stories and, and speak their minds. And, um, yeah, so you sort of hit the nail on the head. Well, thank you for doing that. I think that's, you're doing a really great service. Well, thank you. One more question. Sure. Um, 
do you feel as though you have lived a conventional life or an unconventional life? Oh boy. Um, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. Um, I think probably my unconventionality has, I think maybe my sense of the individual in my marriage, which can sometimes drive my husband a little crazy, (laughs) but he's been great. Like this is me and I've always been sort of independent and individualistic, even when we met. Um, And he, he's, for all the years we've been married, we're going on our 40th year, which is unbelievable. He, um, he allows me to be me and gives me space to do the things that I want to do, whether it's taking off with the group and traveling, um, alone. Um, and you know, he he teases me about him being not allowed to go in the group. And I'm like, you don't do well with group travel. (laughs) (laughs) He would not be happy getting up early, being on a schedule. And, um, but we have a good laugh about that. So I think, you know, that might be an unconventionality. Um, I think, changing career paths a couple times in the later part of my career. Um, Certainly like leaving public education for, for two years in the late two thousands. And then um, in 2015, like I'm really at the end of my career at Pinkerton, like the last eight years um, I took a different career path in education into administration so I left the classroom and I I served as an administrator at Pinkerton the last eight year at last eight years at the end when I probably should have just been getting going into cruise control and you know doing what was familiar and easy and predictable. Um, it doesn't but, sound like you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think but, you I know, know you better than that. <laughs> and it wasn't easy, but um, but it was a it was a huge change. It was a great change. No two days were ever the same. I never knew what those days were going to look like as an administrator. And it just so happened that by the circumstances that unfolded, um, I ended up as the associate head of school by appointment. That was never in my cards. Mm -hmm. And it just happened because of a resignation and and my boss who um, appointed me to that position. so I'm grateful for those little spontaneous things that come my way that I never would have expected. So yeah. in that regard, I think it's unconventional. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I personally think when I, when I, when I look at you and look at your life too, part of the unconventionality that I see is your zest for life and your willingness to uh, take on new things and dare to try new things. And um, and in this, what you're doing now that you 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 left Pinkerton and you're starting a whole new business mm-hmm. um, and uh, daring to branch out and do that where a lot of people like you mentioned cruise control. I think a lot of people at this age are like, who, how do I put it on cruise control and just slide to the end of my life? And and then there's us who um, are like, no, like I want to keep learning for the rest of my life. I want to keep having new experiences. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, I love that about you. And oh. you're a great role model for 
let's still continue to do all the things at this age and not just slide into the end of our life. Yeah. 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 I'm so thrilled to know you and to have reconnected with you as an adult after many years Mm -hmm. in the collaborations that we've done and music we've gone to and, you know, all the things. And I hope that we continue to stay connected. And um, I really want to go on one of your trips with you at some point. I'm not, I might be more like your husband. I'm not sure I'm a group traveler, but I might try it. (laughs) I think that would be a blast. Suzanne, where can people find you online? And I will put these links to in the show notes. You could just let us know too, where people can find you and your new business. Yep. Um, My personal Facebook page, Suzanne Graham Tartarilla. Um, I'm on Instagram, S. Tartarilla, my first initial last name on Instagram. Um, I just like this week created a Facebook page for my upcoming Scotland tour and it's public. So anyone can um, like it and kind of follow us along to, to watch this journey as it unfolds between now and April. Um, and it's not just with my tours, just signing up and then we wait till April till we go. Um, I'll plan a few get-togethers with the group between um, January and April. Um, so by the time we all meet at Logan at the gate to get ready to board, we there are familiar faces and people have all had a chance to get to know each other. And um, so there's that page. And then um, I'm in the process too of creating um, a more global Facebook page for um, my my little fledgling travel business, Sterling Tours. Sterling Tours. And how did you come up with the name Sterling Tours? Oh, I love this story. Um, So my dad's family comes from Scotland. And um, through some research, well, one of the stops on the Scotland itinerary is Stirling Castle, spelled S-T-I-R-L-I-N-G. And um, there was a famous battle at Stirling Castle Bridge with William Wallace. So I just started to randomly do some research. And it come to find out the Graham clan was part of that battle. And mm-hmm. Graham in my family lineage was um, William Wallace's right-hand man in that battle. And Sterling is my dad's middle name. Oh my goodness. I know. It's not spelt the Scottish S-T-I-R-S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G. Oh, yeah. That's, that's perfect. Thank you so Amazing. much for sharing that story. I know it just, as I was reading this, I thought, oh my God, dad's with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that is so great. The, the person who first introduced you to traveling on his, um, his tractor trailer truck. Yeah. Susan, yeah. thank you so much and best of luck thank uh, you. With your business. And um, I'm really super happy that you joined me on fire after 50 awesome. and take care of yourself. Thanks for having me, Nana. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fire After 50 podcast. Please check the show notes for links and resources to everything we mentioned in this episode. And if you'd like to be a guest on my podcast, please visit my website at nanettefaygordon.com. And surprise, surprise, I specialize in photographing women over 50. If you'd like more information, you can log on to my website. Thank you for listening.